when we think about radical community, it's so important for us to gather here on a Sunday morning to hear God's words preached, to worship the Lord together. It is crucial for us also to find ways to engage in deeper relationship with one another. That's what small group is all about. That's why it's so important, or perhaps school of discipleship or a study of some kind. We want everyone to find some way to connect on a deeper level here at the church. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. We're going to be talking today about worship, in particular what we mean when we say worship Sunday morning, worship, worship gatherings. We're going to be talking about what happens here on Sunday mornings and what about that should be radical. So let's see what we find here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. Paul writes this to the Colossian church, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now this passage is perfect for our series, Radical Community, because it is specifically written to the community of God's people. Paul here is not giving instruction to us as individual believers and in how we should act as individuals. He's speaking to us as his community. You see it there in verse 12 where he speaks to the Colossian believers as God's chosen people. He's speaking to them as God's people. Then, if you were to look closely at the Greek language, which I know most of us don't do, but what you would find is all of the verbs, all of the instructions, the actions that he's calling out from the Colossian believers, he's using plural forms of these verbs, which means he's not saying you singular, you as the individual. What he's saying is you collectively. This is how we ought to behave. This is how we ought to live. Uh, this is an interesting passage because in the first few verses, what we find is really a review of where we've been in the first weeks where we've talked about radical love and a radical welcome and a radical unity. But then we also find where we're going to land next Sunday on Thanksgiving Sunday. By the way, you don't want to miss uh, next Sunday. Uh, baptisms, we're going to celebrate communion together and uh, we're, we're going to give thanks to God for all that he's done for us. So we see thanksgiving in this passage as well. Notice some of the instructions, and I can't help but just highlight a few of the things. We don't have time to go into them. I've always loved verse 13 of Colossians, for example, where he says, bear with each other. What, what does that mean, to bear with each other? What it means is simply this, put up with one another. The reason I find that so helpful is here's Scripture's way of signaling, signaling to us that it's not going to be easy. 
It's not going to be easy to be the church. It's not going to be easy for us to live in unity when we have all of these different personalities, all these different opinions, all of these different backgrounds, and no wonder, Scripture would say, bear with one another. You know, one thing I didn't say last week, we think it's hard for us. Imagine living in a culture where in the same church you have Jewish people and you have Gentile people. You have Jewish believers who've been raised their whole life uh, in, to some degree wrongly to think that they, as Jewish, racially Jewish people, they're the people of God and everyone else is dogs. They're just dogs. They're Gentiles. Now they come into the church and there's Jewish people and there's Gentile people. They're brothers and sisters, Paul says, love each other. And then in the same church, you have both masters and slaves. In some cases, you have the master and the slave from the same household worshiping in the same church, now brothers and sisters. If you want to read about that in Scripture, you can read the next book of the Bible, uh, or one of the next books of the Bible, Philemon, uh, which Paul wrote around the same time that he wrote Colossians, where he, uh, he's writing to a master, a rich guy named Philemon, about a slave named Onesimus who had run away from Philemon, not sure how good of a master he was, but he was a Christian, and in his running away, he stumbles upon the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul shares the gospel with him, and he becomes a Christian, and now Paul is going to send Onesimus back to his master. This is really fascinating to think about the ethics of all of this, but he sends Onesimus back to Philemon, and he says to Philemon, this is your brother. And he exhorts him to treat him as a brother. This is the reality of what was happening in these churches. We know the reality of the challenge of unity, and so here we find these words, bear with each other. I've sometimes said right from the pulpit, there will be times when I disappoint you. There, I've been here two and a half years, so there probably already have been times. There will be times when I annoy you. There will be times when I preach too long. Maybe today, maybe not. You will have to bear with me, and I will have to bear with you. And then it goes on to say that we must forgive one another. If there's time in this series, and there might be, we might do a whole Sunday on this question of forgiveness. We cannot dwell in unity. We cannot be a grace community unless we learn to forgive one another those disappointments that we have. And notice how he frames that. He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So there's so much here in these early verses, but I really want to get to verse 16 today, where we find this radical, and yes, I do believe this is radical instruction. If we want to, we can simply call it a command of Scripture, and it's not the only place, as we'll see in a few moments, where God commands his people to, did you catch it in these verses, to sing. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Okay, well, let's just face it. This is just radical. It's weird. Because in our culture, we do not sing normally. You don't sing at the office. You don't sing at the lunchroom. I don't even know if we sing at school. Do we still sing, O Canada? We used to when I was a kid. I, I don't know if we even do that anymore, if we just listen. In fact, the only place that I can think of where in Western culture where people sing, uh, usually it's a sporting event. And uh, people just go out of their mind and they paint their face and they get so excited. And especially if their team wins, 
And there's this celebration, well, sometimes there's another factor involved at the sporting event that gets people loosened up and singing. But often it's when the team is winning, there is a celebration, and, and this is the reality of singing for us. To be human, uh, to, to understand singing is to understand that it's kind of an overflow of something that's going on, and so that's why people dress up and paint their face and, and, and sometimes sing at a sporting event. I always got a kick out of the uh, Canadian World Juniors, and it kind of became a tradition in the last 10 or 15 years that when Canada wins gold, all these 17-year-old uh, hockey players sing the national anthem. So TSN uh, gets the camera right up close. You know, have you ever seen this? It's going down the line, and as it gets up to each guy, the microphone picks up their singing voice. Thankfully, they're good hockey players because they're not likely to make money singing, and yet you see the picture. I mean, it's just, it, it, again, it's a celebration of victory. It's a rejoicing and it's interesting how singing tends to flow out in those moments. Or you've been to a concert, favorite singer, a well-known singer, and they fire up that song that everybody knows and everybody just sings it. It's a celebration of, of being there together and enjoying all, all of us together singing that one song that we know. Or sometimes we sing at our birthday parties. We, we had a birthday party a couple of years ago for, um, I think it was one of my sons, I believe, and uh, somebody was recording our singing of happy birthday, and that recording has been played a number of times because of how funny it is. But that's where we sing too. We sing at the celebration of a birthday. The point is that singing isn't something we do very often. When we do do it, it tends to be out of the overflow of excitement and joy and celebration. And I think when we understand here God teaching us commanding us that as the people of God we must sing it makes sense when you understand it from this perspective singing is something we do out of the overflow of rejoicing and so it would make sense for us as believers to sing from that same place now as you look closely at verse 16 you'll see that's well that's exactly uh, what we what we see here because this verse begins by saying this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So follow through the sentence here, and he's basically going to say, through your singing together, the message of Christ, or we could simply call it what we call the gospel, the good news about Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is, number one, the good news about who he is. The gospel is the good news that Jesus came. The gospel is the good news that Jesus died and rose again to save us. And that through his death and resurrection, if we would repent and trust in him, we can have sins forgiven. We can be made new in Christ. We are made alive as we've been singing this morning. We are saved and rescued. Where I once was destined for eternal punishment in hell, now I rejoice at the fact that I have an eternal hope in heaven and so we, we sing about this uh, it's an overflow of rejoicing because we get to sing about the gospel sometimes we try each week to try and align our songs that we might sing congregationally with the message uh, that can be hard sometimes what's the message this week well it's about giving are there any songs about that no what should we do let's sing about the gospel let's sing about Jesus it's always right to sing about Jesus and the gospel. 
Notice what it says here that this message of Christ, this gospel of Christ, should dwell among us richly. Don't you love that? In other words, the gospel should be at home here. It should have a rich welcome in our church. And we, as the people of God, as believers, we should dwell richly and very much at home in the realm of the gospel. We shouldn't be embarrassed to sing about Christ and what he's done for us. It should flow out of our hearts. By the way, folks, if you find for yourself that there's nothing within your heart that would cause you to have overflow of rejoicing for who Jesus is and what he's done for you, that's a, that's a great reason for you to examine your heart. Are you right with God? Have you ever come to know this gospel? Have you ever come to trust in this gospel? Have you ever come to believe? Or if you have, have you lost the joy of your salvation? Have you lost the wonder of what God has done for you? Check your heart. If you don't want to sing about these things, it tends to mean that your heart is not right with God. So here's the first thing that should happen in our singing is that we are celebrating the message of Christ, the good news of Christ. Now, we did that this morning. This was a fairly new song that we sang, but think of these words that we sang just a few moments ago. Come behold the wondrous mystery, Christ the Lord upon the tree or the cross. In the stead, meaning in the place of ruined sinners, hangs the lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption, see the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. We are singing the gospel. We are singing God's word as we sing songs like that. Well, that's the first thing that we see. Then we read on in verse 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you notice, teach and admonish one another. Did you ever think about this, that in our singing we actually have a responsibility and a ministry to one another. I want you to see that again. I want you to read this again because I want this to sink, sink in deeply for us. As you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit singing to God. There is a ministry that we all have to one another. So the next time someone asks you, uh, do, you, do you have a ministry at Wallenstein? What do you, how, where do you serve at Wallenstein? Well, there's a couple of things now you can say based on today's sermon. You can now say, I am part of the music ministry at Wallenstein. You could also say, I, I'm a gospel preacher at Wallenstein. You could say, I am one of the teachers at Wallenstein. Why is that? Because see the ministry that God intends for us to have one to another, yes, through our singing, that we are proclaiming the gospel to each other, we're celebrating it together, and then as we proclaim the truth of God's word through these songs, we literally are teaching and admonishing one another. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. This is really, really important. Hey, we've talked about how we, we have uh, overflow right now, and some have asked, well, why don't we just send the kids out? Why, why do we have to have the kids sit in? We could have so much more room. And one of the reasons that we have said is, we want children to worship with mom and dad. 
We want children to look up from the pew and see mom and dad singing. Why? Because as they sing songs like this, as they sing how great is our God, as they look up and see me, eyes closed, singing like I really believe and really mean what I'm singing, we are ministering to those children. As they look across the aisle and see you, you're not their mom or dad, but it's your job to teach and admonish them. So they look around this room and they, or in the gymnasium and they see people who are singing this like they really believe it. Why? Because we actually are supposed to really believe it and our hearts are supposed to overflow with this and so we sing this in such a way that we're literally ministering to one another. So let's just ask ourselves the question. Let's get real personal now. Based on the way that I would sing, during our, and I know, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna be kind of uncomfortable here for a moment. Based on the way you sing, are you teaching anyone? Are you admonishing anyone? See, the word admonish here can mean to warn someone, but I think the better way of understanding it and one of the ways it can be understood here is to kind of passionately and persistently express a truth to someone. In the way that you sing, or I sing as we gather in this place or in the gymnasium, is anyone being taught? Is anyone being told, believe this? Is anyone looking at you and, and seeing you, you're saying this is true? Is anyone hearing you and, and hearing you say this is important, this is my life? Hey, we, we've all been in worship gatherings where we hear people sing. And let's just face the fact, we, we know how if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are so ministered by that. You, you are so encouraged by that. Your faith is bolstered because you're in a room full of people who are passionately pouring out their praise and worship to God. But if we gather in a worship gathering where we mumble out our praise and I think I can hear someone else but I'm not sure which is a problem because that means if I sing out you might hear me and I don't want you to hear me because I know how badly I sing and this whole thing just spirals downward into a place where we're not teaching and admonishing anyone and what we're communicating is this doesn't matter not important not worth my effort not worth raising my voice, not worth raising my hand. And nobody is admonished or taught or encouraged because we're not simply doing what Scripture has taught us to do. We have a ministry to one another that unfolds as we sing to one another. What do we sing? Verse 16 goes on to describe three different categories of songs here. Psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. People have tried for years to try and define these things, and it's difficult. The first one, I think, is pretty easy. Probably Paul is referring to psalms from the Old Testament. We're actually very blessed. In our Bibles, we have an Old Testament book called the Psalms, which is the Old Testament, the people of Israel's song book, their hymn book, their book of praise. So I think he's referring to that. In other words, when we sing the psalms, uh, or any song from the Old or New Testament, and there's many of them, we are literally singing scripture. 
What's awesome about that is when you put scripture to a song and you learn the song, you've learned scripture. We all know what it's like to drive down the road or to be standing in the shower and a song comes to mind and we remember every word. Music has a way of implanting words into our memory in a way that is so helpful. So when we sing the scriptures or the psalms, we're literally singing God's word planting it deep into our hearts. Isn't it fascinating how music takes a truth concept and attaches it to something that, that uh, ministers to us on a deeper emotional level and it brings those two things together. We should never be embarrassed or uh, concerned about the fact that music communicates to us uh, emotionally. It's meant to do that. That's the way God made it. Now, if all music is to us is an emotional experience and we divorce it from truth, uh, which is one of the reasons I, I would encourage us to be careful about the music we might listen to or the secular music we might listen to, if we divorce it from truth, it can become dangerous, especially when there's alternative information being given, stuff that's not true, stuff that's not God's word, attached to this, this platform that strikes me deeply and emotionally, Brothers and sisters, let's be really careful about that. So we sing psalms, we sing God's word, we sing hymns, we sing spiritual songs. We can categorize those in different ways. And one of the simple ways of categorizing, it kind of works for us because we think of hymns as the old music and we might think of spiritual songs as the new music. And even scripture itself would teach us to sing both. Right? Do you remember what it says in the psalms about new songs? It says sing them. Sing the new songs. And of course, it gives us the old songs so that we would keep singing the old songs as well. There are many uh, ancient hymns, older hymns, that are so worth us to continue to sing even in our day. And there are new songs that are worth us singing. By the way, when we think about how our singing, our congregational singing should teach and admonish, should be a reflection of the gospel, that means that the songs that we choose to sing in our gatherings of the church really matter. We should be singing songs that are full of scriptural truth. I find it funny sometimes, though, by the way, when someone says to me, why do we sing these songs with all this repetition? Oh, I say, oh, repetition. You mean like Psalm 136, where in 26 verses it says 26 times the same thing. The psalms are full of repetition. People say, well, we can't sing. Why, why would we sing this simple, these simple statements of our uh, love of God. Well, the Psalms are full of those kinds of things. I'm, I'm not talking here that we can never have repetition or we can, we can never have simple statements like I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice. But our songs should be full of scriptural truth that expresses our worship and praise to God in appropriate ways. Why? Because we're meant to teach and admonish, admonish each other through our singing. Then we have this next simple phrase where Paul references the Holy Spirit. In the NIV, it says that we would sing psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I want to show you a similar verse that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 5, where he says this, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Well, here's another way for me to turn the heat up on us a little bit as a church family, and that is this. That if we are full of the Holy Spirit, we will sing together. And I would argue we would sing passionately from the heart 
It's a sign, a symbol of what it means to be full of the Spirit. If the Spirit is, is, is in us and energizing us and moving us as we gather on Sunday mornings, we will sing because He is moving us and filling us to do that very thing. And then finally we see that we sing to God with gratitude. This is interesting, right? Because now we see that our, the direction of our singing is Godward, and yet as we sing Godward, we minister outward. As we sing vertically to God, we are ministering horizontally to one another. We sing to God. I don't know if in our kind of church here we perhaps we lose sight of, we, we don't have a sense of the reverence and awe that other people, other churches may have. So for example, for centuries, churches, some, some gatherings of, of churches have happened in very ornate buildings with stained glass and, and things that are meant to e- evoke a sense of awe. Now, I, I don't think we need to put glass, stained glass in the windows to do that. But I do think it's so crucial for us to come here and to gather with a sense of deep awe. I mean, Jesus said that whenever two or three gather in his name, he is there in the midst. We may not have stained glass windows, but I know here at Wallenstein, everybody calls this the sanctuary. It's not a sanctuary because you're sitting here or I'm standing. That's not what makes this a sanctuary if it is indeed one. It is the presence of God that makes this a sanctuary. And so as we gather on Sunday mornings, my hope and prayer for us is that we would come with this deep sense that we are going to gather in the presence of God. So let me, since I'm on a roll this morning, let me just carry on and say, how about this? How about we come to church on time? How about we come to church on time and we come with anticipation. We get our kids signed in. We get in here. We're sitting down. We're ready to go. Why? Because in the gathering of the church, we are meeting with God. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the banter, the fellowship, the talking, everything that's happening out in the foyer and sometimes it's happening in here. That is awesome. That's what a church should be. But let us not lose sight of what's going to happen in our gathering when we begin to sing to God, when that first song fires up, we are now gathering as one body, as one people in the presence of our God and Savior, and now we are singing to him. Let us gather with reverence. Let us gather with expectation. By the way, the Lord is in the gym. He's there, right? Uh, most of us have had a chance to experience overflow and we hear different perspectives on that, yay and nay. But here's the good news, the Lord's in the gym and his people are in the gym. And when we gather in the gym and when we sing, we can experience the presence of God as we minister to each other and encourage and teach and admonish each other. We can have a marvelous experience in the gym because God is there, because God's people are there. I heard that. She said, yeah. 
At least somebody's saying it. All right, where am I? I want to just remind us of some of the things that are in the Old Testament because singing is not just a New Testament thing. We've seen two places in the New Testament where Paul so clearly commands in Scripture that we ought to sing as God's people. And as we do so, we're ministering Godward, we're ministering manward. Let's see some of the things that the Old Testament said in that book of Psalms. Similar commands where the people of God, in this case the people of Israel, are commanded to sing praises Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to... You see, repetition's not so bad. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Now, I said earlier, uh, we're actually all part of the music ministry here at this church. Which raises the question, well then, what are the people here on the, on the platform doing? And we find in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, we see in the kingship of David when he established singers at the tabernacle, and it was very clear that he wanted skillful singers and skillful musicians. Why is that? Because the job of the people who stand on this platform and lead us musically, lead us in singing, is to do so skillfully so that they can facilitate the rest of us singing. Some of us struggle uh, as it is with singing. And so if the music is led off key, if it's, if it's led in the wrong tempo or whatever it might be, it's really hard for the rest of us to, to be able to engage in it. So the purpose of our music teams is not to perform, right? It, it's not a performance. Church is not a spectator sport. It's meant to be an engagement of all of us. Our job here as we lead in, in, in worship and in singing is to facilitate our songs and our singing in such a way that everybody can engage freely and easily. So sing to him a new song. Play skillfully, shout for joy. Then we have other aspects of worship as well. Psalm 47, clap your hands. All you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. See the exuberance here that we read in scripture when it comes to our singing I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands can I just say you are allowed to do that here right you think well someone's going to judge me for it doesn't matter scripture judges them it's commanded we can do this feel free to do this lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord this is God's word one of the most awesome experiences I have had being part of congregational singing took place at the T4G conference. Not sure how many of you are familiar with this. T4G stands for Together for the Gospel. Over the last dozen years, this was a conference that was happening every second year, and it was a gathering of leaders, uh, pastors from all different denominations who said, let's all get together. Uh, Presbyterians and Baptists and, uh, and even uh, brethren people and and everyone gathered into this one conference. So I got to go in 2018 and experience this. 12,000 people in a university basketball stadium in Louisville, Kentucky. And we got to experience worship. If you look closely, you might see there's a grand piano there down in the center on the floor of the basketball stadium. And that's all we had for worship led music was a guy on a grand piano and we sang holy 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 and we sang in Christ alone and I think we sang this song that you guys introduced today here 
12,000 people. Now, one of the downsides is 10,000 of them were pastors, like men, mostly men. 2,000 uh, women, thankfully. Couldn't hear the women as well. But it was an amazing experience. 12,000 people who love Jesus passionately who could not believe. You see, one of the things we might say is, well, yeah, it's, it's hard in our building because, you know, the ceiling's too high. We just don't have good acoustics. Folks, when you are in a room full of people who can't hold it in and who just worship Christ out of a heart full of love, you can fill a basketball stadium with lots of noise, lots of worship, lots of glory to God. What I've experienced in times like this, it's, it's caused me to think a little bit about heaven. It's caused me to feel like, isn't this a little taste of heaven? And I really believe that's what our Sunday mornings are meant to be as well. As we gather large in this space, and as we sing together, it's meant to be a little taste of heaven, which it can be if we sing like we were actually there. But we are already there. If you go back to the start of Colossians uh, chapter 3 or chapter 2, you'll, you'll see Paul saying that we should set our mind on things above where Christ is seated and he's going to teach us that we're seated there too. We're already there. Congregational singing is a little glimpse of heaven. May it be so here. Think of these words from Revelation 19. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing water. See, you think you can't sing well? You think all it is is noise. Well, that's all it was here. It's like it's, it's just a, it's this loud sound. It's like a roar, like loud peals of thunder. And it's a shouting, hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Brothers and sisters, my hope and prayer for us is that we could be a radical community in this area. And I'm so grateful for all of you who already raise your voice and raise your hands. Let us be a place where in our congregational singing, we give great glory to God who's in the midst. And we minister powerfully to one another because we're saying to one another in our singing, I believe this, this is true, this is important, believe this. And in so doing, we leave encouraged. I want people to come into this space or into the gym and look around at a, at a group of people and say, these people really believe something. Whatever it is, I want to know what it is. I want to believe it too. May this be true of us. And now we get to practice. So I'm going to have the music team come and lead us in a final song. Lord, we say amen uh, to these beautiful words we've been singing. We look forward to the day when we will stand face to face with the one who gave his life. And yet, Lord, here in this place and in our lives here day by day, we literally live in the presence of Christ. We're so grateful to have Christ living within us. We're so grateful that when we gather as a church, we gather in his name, we gather in his presence. Lord, I pray that as a church family, you would remove our inhibitions, our hesitation. Would you cause us, Lord, to have hearts, not just to sing loud, but to have hearts that are so full of gratitude that we can't help ourselves. Would you make this true of us, Lord? We want it to be for your honor and glory. 
And that's why we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God be with you. Thank you.